Welcome to the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. This is a podcast about board games and RPGs, where a lot of opinions and conclusions are formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics. Amazing Stories is the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for the Best Comic Book Store in Canada and is a two-time finalist for the Eisner Award for Best Store Worldwide. The entire staff are true nerds who love pop culture as much as their clients. And Dragon's Den Games, Saskatoon's premier gaming store. Check out the board games, the RPG systems, and all the major miniature games, and a wide selection of gaming and RPG accessories. Dragon's Den Games, a haven for the imagination. Hi there, I'm your host Norm and this is the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and this is a What You've Been Playing Wednesday episode and on this episode are Board on the Air, Mozart Games, The Tabletop Bellhop, Meeple and the Moose, The Meeple Dungeon, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always... Take the time, check the show notes. There's links to the cast of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And you know I'm going to say it. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we are Board on the Air, a weekly radio show in Saskatoon. And this is What Have You Been Playing? And on tonight's show, we are going to be talking about... Broom Service by Alexander Pfister. Yes, this is a, one, one of his older ones and one of his lighter ones. Yeah, so it's two to five players, depending on how you set it up. And your witches delivering potions. Yeah. And the... The gist of the game is you have 10 cards, you choose four of them, and you try to play them. Uh, when you play a card, you're going to either play it as a brave action, which is better, but can bite you in the ass, or... Yep. A cowardly action, which you automatically get once you pick it, but you don't. it's not anywhere near as powerful. Yeah, uh, we played it at three. Uh, the guys we were talking about last night, who play it a lot, usually play it at five. And I can see the enjoyment at five if you have a good gaming group. Yeah, it, because, there is a lot of, I want to do this, and it's like, no, you don't, because I have that card too. Yeah, so as you said, you play a card and you're like, I'm going to be brave. If anybody else has that card in their hand going clockwise, they have to play it at that point and have to say if they're brave or cowardly. The last person who says brave gets the brave action. So if you lead off brave and no one else goes brave, they're being very friendly to you. What? Part of it is outthinking the group that you're with, right? Mm -hmm. It's, okay, I need to do this. I don't think anybody else needs to do this. And depending on where in your board, if you're all grouped together, a lot of the times I think you're all going to be picking similar actions. Yeah. Right? The more spread out you are, the less similar actions there are going to be. Yeah. This is the first time playing it, so... We were sort of feeling out the game. Uh, yeah. It played fairly quickly. I think a half hour and we were done almost. Yeah, and every action was fun. Because it's 
it's not only is it a solid game, I found it a great experience to play. Yeah, I I was laughing, I was giggling, I was cursing out my children. Uh, all in all, this this was a lot of fun. Uh, the components on it are little wood potions, uh, little witch wooden witches, and then a bunch of cardboard. Yeah, nothing fancy. Yeah, but functional. It, it's functional. It's good. The cardboard's fine. Uh, we got this from Norm, uh, who hadn't played it yet, but uh, didn't seem like it was going to be his type of game, so he let it go. Uh, I'm really happy. Uh, I thought it was a great game. Yeah, I could definitely see this coming back to the table. Maybe even a late game with a few drinks in us. Yeah, it's exactly what a late game is to me. You know, a group of people around the table at a higher player count, five is a decent player count, having fun, trying to block each other, but it's not mean. No. And half the time you only get blocked when you think you can get a certain action and then someone's like, surprise! Yeah. Uh, the thing that twists or has a little bit of twist is there are event cards that come out that make you do stuff. One of them is whoever leads the first card has to be brave. Yep. Uh, that Changes came, out, the... came out right away. <laughs> that was our first card we had to ever deal with. And it just was fun because it's also because then it's like, okay, I want to do this as cowardly, but I have to do it as brave. Yeah. Uh, there are some advanced variables that you can put in there. We just played the base game to start. Uh, next time we will bring in all the advanced stuff because it looks like it changes it up. Looks like you can get some power breaking abilities. Uh, looks really cool, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a really solid game. All the events that came out were impactful in a different way. It's like some of them, you had to have extra resources at the end of your turn. So a lot of us went for resource cards that round. There was some of them where you had to where you could pick how many cards you want in your hand, so you could get a whole bunch but have to lose some points, or you could get a lot less but get a lot of points. Yeah, there, there was some neat stuff there. But yeah, if you have a chance to play Broom Service and, and you like that push-your-luck type of game that doesn't take itself too seriously, Broom Service is a nice option. Yeah. Okay, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we'll talk to you next week. Hello everyone, this is Chris Morris, and I'm thrilled to be back again on What You've Been Playing Wednesday this week. If you want to give me a follow on Twitter, you can find me on there as Spidermo, that's spider with a Y. I'll often post pics of games that I've been playing, some of my ongoing challenges as a designer, and a few rants and raves along the way. On this week's episode, I want to talk about Dune Imperium. It's a worker placement deck-building game from designer Paul Denon and published by Dire Wolf Games. It's for one to four players and takes about 60 to 90 minutes to play. Dune Imperium shared some similarities with Lost Ruins of Arnak when it was first released, and these two games have often been compared with one another. After playing them both myself, I have to say that they share about as much in common with each other as Monopoly and Twilight Imperium do. Okay, maybe it's not that far, but in all honesty, except for a couple of shared mechanics, these two games are very different from one another, and, spoiler alert, Dune is by far my favorite of the two. For those of you who don't know much about the game, it's based on the Frank Herbert books and movies that have been made over the years, 
Players will each control a faction, trying to control the desert planet by leveraging the scarce resources of water and spice that can be harvested on the planet, while also trying to win several wars that rage during the game. I haven't seen either of the movies, except for about 20 minutes of the original 80s one, many, many years ago, and I've only read a little bit of the first book. So I honestly came into this game with only the tiniest bit of knowledge of what actually happens in this universe. Suffice it to say that it'd be like someone else thinking that Han Solo piloted the USS Enterprise, and you wouldn't be too far wrong. Players will get a hand of five cards each round, and they'll use those cards to send their agents to locations on the board in order to collect resources or influence the various factions in order to gain advantages over their opponents and eventually earn victory points. When someone reaches 10 victory points, the game will end, and whoever has the most points at that point will win the game. Players only get access to two agents in the early rounds, but they can eventually unlock a third later. But each agent that you send to a location reduces your hand size, and you use all of your leftover cards at the end of a round in order to buy better cards to or contribute to the war that round. The cards will all have symbols on them that match various locations on the board, and you can only send an agent to a location that is printed on the card that you play. Opponents' agents will block your placement too, so you need to be aware of what they may be up to in order to best utilize your cards. Many cards that you purchase along the way will also have a special ability that you trigger when it's used, and they can boost your actions. As with most deck builders, your starting cards are very limited, and through the course of the game, you'll gain better cards, allowing you to pull off some really good combos and tricky plays. Although, as with Denon's other game, Clank, thinning your deck can sometimes be a little bit difficult in Dune. The cards that you buy will have alliances to various factions, and building a deck with a focus on one or two of these factions can give you some pretty great moves in the later rounds of the game, and they'll also give you a focus to your play. Your leader will also have a special ability that triggers every time that you play your Signet Ring card that happens to be in your starting deck. The leaders all appear to be mostly balanced, but they do have a neat rating on each one of them that will show players how difficult they are to use. There are four basic leaders that are recommended for newer players that are more straightforward, and I do recommend those for your first game or two at least in order to get a better grasp on everything that happens within the game. There's also a combat card that's revealed at the beginning of each round, and that gives players a benefit for whoever will contribute the most forces to that battle, with the top two players each getting a bonus in all games, and a third place award is handed out when playing with four players. There's no way to legitimately get involved in every single combat, so you need to pick your battles carefully. There's various locations on the board that will give you units, and you can either put them into your garrison for future use, or you can send them into the current battle whenever you go to specific locations on the board. If you're the first player in a round, you may not want to commit forces too early, as others can swoop in once you've played yours in order to steal a battle from you. And since everyone in each fight is killed regardless of the outcome, losing too many forces and not getting a reward can be brutal, so players need to balance that risk and reward. There are various tracks on the side of the game board that track each player's influence with one of the four factions, and moving up those tracks will provide you with victory points and various rewards along the way. But only specific cards will allow you to go to those spaces, so you need to choose which cards you add to your deck if you want to stay competitive on those tracks. 
Each one provides its own flavor to the game, and they will be contested by players in every single game. The publisher Direwolf has also provided a cool app that you can use in your games in order to simulate opponents in a one or two player game, but it also has two unique modes that you can play with as well. One of them provides a kickstart to the game in order to get players involved faster, and another one has random events that can trigger each round, providing players with unique challenges in each game. I think this is a really cool addition to the game, and it provides a lot of replayability with just the base game alone, but it's also compatible with the two expansions that they have for the game. I've played Dune Imperium about five or six times now, and it's the only game in recent memory that I want to bring to the table each and every single week. It really blends its deck building and worker placement mechanics into an extremely fun game that encourages players to experiment with new strategies each and every time. Because the Imperium deck of new cards is fairly large, you never know what's going to turn up, so you can't count on set plays each game in order to drive your gameplay. There's also a deck of cards called Intrigue cards that players can gain during the game, and these can be used to create some underhanded plays and steal victory in key battles from your opponents when they least expect it. No lead is ever safe in Dune, as we had a player race out to a huge lead in one game before his engine crumbled and other players reeled him back in. I think he had about seven points midway through, and the other players all had three, and he ended up with less points than that when the dust settled at the end. For someone like myself who knows very little about the universe that this game exists in, it has fully pulled me in, and I cannot wait for our next game night in order to explore it further. I haven't picked up either expansion yet, as there's so much to explore in just the base game, but I look forward to getting them in the near future, as they both seem to add some really amazing elements to the game, flipping strategies up and forcing players to try new things. From everything that I've read about them, they both seem to integrate themselves smoothly with enough limited rules overhead, so even players with less experience in the game should be able to understand everything when playing with them. I personally hesitated picking this game up for quite a while, as it was compared so much to Lost Ruins of Arnak. I played that game several times, but I found it became stale after a couple of plays myself, and there was such a huge focus on the research track in that game, which I found to be the most boring aspect, but you always had to sink a huge portion of your time into it because it was so valuable. In Dune, everything is fun to mess around with. And even if you stay out of the battles, more or less, you can still be hugely competitive if that's what you choose to do. There's also an upgrade pack for those players who really want to invest heavily in the game, which replaces all of the wooden cubes used to represent your troops with plastic minis, and also some large sculpted minis to represent the alliances the players will make in the game, which replace a simple cardboard token in the base game. I personally don't feel like the game needs these upgrades, as I find myself fully invested in the game as it is, and I'm totally fine with the component quality provided in the game. The board does look a little bland, but it helps to keep players focused on the action at hand by not complicating things. Besides, this is a desert world with limited technology from my understanding, so how colorful do you really want it to be? Dune Imperium has been the biggest hit at my gaming table in recent memory, with everybody talking about their games a bit between game nights, and everyone has been super happy to play it again the following week, each time. Definitely give it a shot if you haven't played it yet, as I don't think you'll be disappointed. But if you have played it, I'm curious as to what you think is your favorite faction, or your favorite edition included in the expansions. Let me know on Twitter if you see me there, as I definitely want to hear from others about what they've enjoyed most about the game. Once again, I'm Chris Morris, 
Thanks for listening to my thoughts on Dune Imperium, and may all your dice rolls be critical successes. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, helping you make your game nights better. Now, it's been a while since I recorded one of these, and I apologize to anyone who missed my segments. After three years of following our local health unit's recommendations, my family finally caught COVID-19, and it sadly did a number of on us. Now, everyone's fine, but due to the virus, we ended up having to take more than a month off from creating content. So take this as a reminder that the pandemic is not over, and do what you need to do to protect yourself and those around you. Now, with that depressing note out of the way, let's get to some games that got played since the last time I was here. Let's start off with Crystallize. This is a game from Bicycle, yes, the company known for making playing cards. They've been dabbling in the hobby game market for a few years now, and their games have been pretty impressive overall. Like the Bicycle games before, Crystallize has great component quality, featuring a very thick two-layered central board, a ton of plastic gem counters that look and feel great, and some 2D cube-shaped cards. Now you're going to be playing these cubes to the center of the table, trying to match up colors on the edges, forming a kind of Cubert Eschert looking construct. Now, for every match you make when you play one of these tiles, these cards to the the play area, you're going to play gems from your personal supply to a central board, and the goal is to be the player with the least gems at the end of the game once the center board is filled. Now, this is a solid family weight abstract strategy game worth picking up, especially for those of you in Canada, if you can find it at your local Dollarama for four bucks like we did. Totally worth it for that price. Next up is Court, a modern trick-taking game from B5 Productions. Twists in this card game include only three suits, face cards with special abilities, no trump, and golf scoring, where the player with the lowest points is going to be the one who wins. Now, the most fascinating part here is that when you win a trick in this game, you get to decide who gets which cards that were part of it, and those cards form the player court in front of them. At the end of the round, everyone's going to score points equal to the total of the cards in their court, They then pick up those cards, which becomes their hand for the next round, and you play three rounds. So there's a really interesting mix of strategy there of wanting to take low-numbered cards uh, because they're worth less points, but then needing good cards to be able to win tricks in the next round. It's really fascinating. Now, for more on Court, tune into our live show tonight on Twitch, which now starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. That's now 8 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. From here, let's move over to the garden in Azul Queen's Garden. Uh, So far, this is the most opaque version of Azul yet, and I gotta say, it takes a couple of games to really understand the rules, and a few more to feel like you're actually getting good at it. Now, like the previous games in the Azul series, it's beautiful. There's fantastic plastic tiles that look and feel great on your hand and make a fantastic kind of clacking sound. Gameplay-wise, this is closest to Azul Summer Pavilion, Though I wouldn't really say the games are all that similar, just compared to the other Azul games, this is the closest. Now, while learning the game was a bit rough, Uh, this is one of the worst uh, experiences I had just sitting down trying to learn a game at a coffee shop and going, you know what, no, we're going to try again later after I watch a video. That doesn't happen to me often. But once we got through that um, and started to actually play, and, and what I recommend for this is just sit down, play, fiddle around, draft some tiles, play some tiles, just to get used to the 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 bidding, I guess, mechanic, the buying, the buying, selling mechanic in this game. 
just fight through it because once you do, uh, we found we're really enjoying the game. At this point, I would call this my favorite Azul game, though that's right now, and I played a lot of the original, and I'm a little tired of it. I do recommend, though, if you are new to the series, start with the original game. This is the heaviest and most complex to the Azul game, so it's definitely not going to be for everyone. Now, if you're a longtime Azul fan, especially if you like Summer Pavilion, you might want to check this one out. Uh, next up, we got in quite a few games of the game from Pandasaurus Games. Uh, this is one of our favorite cooperative games that my wife keeps in her purse, and we tend to play at the bar, at the pub, while waiting for dinner, um, playing over a few drinks or over coffee. Now, while it's been a while since we've had a perfect game where we've gone through every single card in the deck, this still continues to hit our table regularly. Now, along with this, I've been enjoying playing Disney Sorcerer's Arena from the op with my kids as well as my wife. Uh, this is a great entry-level card-driven skirmish war game that also happens to feature Disney and Pixar characters. I was very impressed by this, which you can read about in my review that went live just a couple days ago, and which we're also going to be talking about on our latest, we did talk about, sorry, which we did talk about on our latest podcast, uh, which is episode 201, Underrated, which you can find on your podcatcher of choice, the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast. Now, at this point, I'm currently exploring the Turning the Tide expansion for this Disney skirmish game, which seems great so far. You get three new characters and a new set of rules for terrain tile, which not only affect the three new characters, but at least one of the existing characters from the core set, which I thought was a nice touch. Now, for St. Patrick's Day, our friends Tori and Kat brought over a game to play specifically on St. Patrick's Day, and that is Corrigan's, which, though it looked kind of like a kid's game, ended up being really fun and deeper than we expected. So in this game, you've got two fairies you control, two Corrigans that you're going to move around the board into different uh, land sectors that are covered in four-leaf clovers. And you get to pick up all the clovers, look what's on the bottom of them, pick one and put the rest back. Now, some of these tokens are animal companions that help you get around, and others are gold, which is what you're trying to score to win the game. Now, the different animal companions let you move different ways. For example, if you have a bird token, you can fly to the same colored spot on the board. So from a pumpkin field to a pumpkin field. Mice let you cross bridges, squirrels let you go through gates, etc. And you basically go around collecting stuff until a rainbow appears, then it's a rush to the pot of gold, which I thought was uh, interestingly thematic. Now, despite its somewhat kiddie theme and look, this is a solid game with some really fun decision points. I especially like the very end of the game, the pot of gold system, where you're racing to use all the companions you collected throughout the game to get your two Corrigans to the pot before time runs out. And I thought that was a, a, a nice, fun rush at the end of the game. Now, the last game I've got to talk about the game today is also a St. Patrick's game, though it's not really Irish in any way, but it is about drinking beers. And that is the Belgian Beers Race. Uh, this is a hidden gem time management game all about hiking around Belgium, trying different beers, sharing beers with friends, collecting memorabilia from breweries and eating cheese. Uh, this is a point salad game with a time track where you're trying to figure out the best way to get around in the least amount of time while drinking the most beers as well as watching your sobriety level. Uh, this is a really neat one and one that I think is great if you've got that craft beer fanatic in your group who knows what a Belgian Trappist beer is. Uh, they're going to enjoy this game just for the theme. Now, one thing I do want to call out because it's pretty important because we missed it. This is only my second time playing this game. And there were two things we got wrong. Now, first off, one, we didn't play wrong, but we forgot a rule that when hitchhiking, you can offer up beers from your backpack to increase your chances of being picked up. Playing with that rule greatly changed the game and actually made it a lot more fun. 
Also, the timeline works different from other timeline games that I played in the past. Uh, for example, um, not Fields of Arrow. Oh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the game. Glenmore. Sorry. Sorry about that. Glenmore. Um, and some other ones like Francis Drake, where in those games or, or Takedo, the player in last place takes an action, and then the player in last place takes an action. Well, in this one, it's not like that. The player in last place is active and continues to take actions until they're in first place. Then it jumps back to the player who's in last, which actually is a significant change to the way the game plays. And as expected, playing with both those rules and play using them the proper way made the game better. Uh, not only that, it made it significantly faster, which was good to see, especially with get players getting to take multiple action in a row. You can plan out your turns a lot better. Instead of I do a thing, you do a thing, you do a thing. It's like I do this, then this, then this, then this. Now you go, which really improved the game. Uh, this one I really do think is a hidden gem. Um, it's published in North America from Grand Gamers Guild, who I do have to thank for sending a review copy. I'm really digging it, but I need to play it a few more times before we get to a final review. Well, that's it for what I've been playing lately. I'm glad everyone is finally feeling better here at home, and it was nice to be able to record something this week. It's good to be back. And before I go, a reminder, we are going to be recording a new Tabletop Bellhop Gaming podcast episode tonight. Again, our new start time, 8 p.m., not 9, 8 p.m., twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. Now, we're going to be talking about something somewhat serious tonight. We are going to be talking about Session Zero for board games. Now, this is something people talk about a lot in regards to role-playing games, but not many people talk about it, or, or most people overlook it, when looking at other tabletop games. So I invite you to join us for that discussion. After that, we are going to be reviewing Court, which I mentioned earlier, as well as a 3D escape box from Escape Well. This one's got an Egyptian theme. This is my third one checking it out. And I've got to say it's my favorite so far. So tune in tonight at 8 p.m. on Twitch for that. I do hope to see you there. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano. Good day and game on. Hello, my name is Alex and I write board game reviews over at meeplesmoose.com. And I'm here to talk to you today about the games I've been playing this week for what you've been playing Wednesday. As much as I love my local board game cafe, I don't end up going there very often. Between my own board game collection and the collections of my friends, we're never left wanting for games. Someone always has something they're eager to get to the table, so spending the table fee at the local cafe just isn't a high value for us very often. What is a high value for me is giving my wife and I somewhere to be and to have fun that is not around our house where we don't have to be looking at all the projects and house chores that we should be working on, and where we don't need to be the parent to a toddler for a couple of hours. So in between a morning hike and a dinner reservation, we stopped at Interactivity Board Game Cafe and played a couple new-to-us games. The first game is Kites by Kevin Hanamo, with art by Beth Sobel and published by Floodgate Games in 2022. Kites is a cooperative real-time game about keeping your kites in the sky. The two-player game starts with each player getting five cards each, and the six colored sand timers laying down on their side on the, in the center of the table. The white timer is flipped up and then players pick up their hands of cards. Each card will have one or two colors in the corner. On your turn, you play a card and then you flip the timers that correspond to the colors depicted on those cards. Then you draw a card from the deck. The white timer can be flipped if you play a card that only has a single color on it instead of flipping the color that was depicted on that card. The players win if the deck is exhausted and they manage to play all of their cards, and they lose if any one of the six sand timers ever runs out. And that's it. Kites is fast and frenetic. 
Players are caught between looking at all the timers and assessing the cards in their hand, all while trying to communicate with their partners. Turns out, it's quite a fun challenge. The first game we played, we lost horribly and immediately, but it taught us what we should be looking for and how we should be communicating. The second game, we managed to win, which felt great. I'm actually reminded of another game, Magic Maze. It's super fun while you're playing it, especially if you crash fantastically. It's even more exciting when you and your teammates manage to meld your minds together and solve the puzzle. But once you've figured the game out, it's kind of done. After our second play of Kites, I asked my partner if she wanted to play again and was met with a shrug and a, no, not really, let's find something else. It's the kind of game that's great to play as a warm-up to get the blood pumping and the communication flowing, but not one that offers great variety once you've figured out the strategy. There are some challenge cards that you can add in to make the game harder if that's something that you crave, but for me, while I won't be buying my own copy, I would happily play Kites if anyone were to ever request it. The next game we played was Mandala, designed by Trevor Benjamin and Brett J. Gilbert, with art by Clemens Franz. Although, I never would have guessed the Clemens Franz art without looking at the credits, and published by Lookout Games in 2019. Mandala is an area-majority, set-collection, and hand-management game for two players. This one was a bit abstract to learn how to play, so bear with me here. Mandala features a large cloth map as the main area of play, and on that cloth map there are two large circles with a solid line running through the center of them. That line is called the mountain, and the, the half of the circle on the either side of those lines is, are called the fields. Finally, each player has a row for cards right in front of them that's called the river, and off to the side there's a space for cards called the cup. Players take turns placing their cards from their hands into either of the two mountains, or either of the two fields that are on their side of the board. An important note is to highlight the rule of color, which says that you cannot play a card to a mountain or a field if that color exists somewhere else within that circle. So if I had a green card in my river, uh, my opponent could not play any green cards to the mountain or to their field. And if there's a red card in the mountain, you could continue to add red cards to the mountain, but neither player can play red cards to their fields within that, that mandala. Once all six colors are present in a single circle within the mountain and the fields, the mandala is considered complete and it must be destroyed. The player who has the most cards in the field gets to take all of one of the colors from the mountain. And then the other player gets to take a color and then back and forth you continue to all the colors have been taken off the mountain. When you take cards from a completed mandala, you place one of those cards into your river if there aren't any cards of that color already present in your river. And then all subsequent cards of that color go into your cup. At the end of the game, you score points for all the cards in your cup. One wrinkle is that all the colors will be worth a different number of points depending on what order you took those colors in. The first color you claim will only be worth a single point per card, while the final color is worth six points per card, but your opportunity to take cards of that color will be greatly limited. Mandala comes to an end when one player has managed to collect all six colors of cards, or when the main deck runs out. Now, I love two-player games, but a challenge when playing games with my wife is that we just don't like games with direct conflict. One might ask, why in the world would you play an area majority game if you don't like direct conflict? And the answer is, I don't know. It just happened, okay? That aside, we actually enjoyed playing Mandala once we figured out what was going on, which was about halfway through the first play. As is common with abstract games, learning to play can be hard, as everything feels really arbitrary. Why are we playing cars to the center? And how does the field control the mountain are some of the questions that came up. And there's no theme to help guide new players into what they should be doing. But after that first mandala gets completed, everything kind of clicks into place. 
you start to figure out how you can play cards to manipulate the game state and sway the game in your favor. Mandala can be a bit cutthroat. The cards in the mountain are the prizes, and players are incentivized playing there as that's the only way to get more cards into your hand. Playing too many cards into your field will drive your opponent away to the other circle, tying up your time and resources. Uh, there are really interesting wrinkles, and I would love to explore them more, but only with the right company. It's too combative a game for my wife and I. Neither of us like playing games where the goal is to deny the other person. You can call us soft if you really want to. Mandala does only take 20 minutes to play. I would have no problem bringing Mandala out with one of my game-minded friends, uh, as mechanically it's a great game and it's something that we really enjoy. There's no story to Mandala, and this isn't the kind of game where you'll, you'll create a narrative in your head. Instead, you'll just be counting colors in the circles and wondering if your opponent has any greens in their hand or not. And that's all I played this week. If you want to read more of my board game reviews, you can find them over on my blog, meeplethemoose.com, and have a happy Wednesday. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And we have one game to talk about this week. What game is that, Anna-Marie? That game is Framework, designed by Uwe Rosenberg, illustrated by Lucas Siegman, and published by Pegasus Spiel. Mm -hmm. Framework. Uh, this is a game that we've had kind of on the pile of opportunity for a little while. and Not too long. This is a fairly new one to our collection, I well, think. Well, yeah. I think we've had it a couple months. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think we got it this like in the new year. That's fair. Like since... Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're in right. 2023. <laughs> Either way, it's, um, yeah, it's a fun little tile placement puzzly game. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to explain kind of how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So you have a bag full of tiles, and each of these tiles will have... Um, one of one of two or two of two things on them. So you'll mm. either have frames, so just basically a kind of a, a border colored, color, a colored box. Yeah, yeah, and of like just the edges, like just like a picture frame. Yeah, sort of look yeah. Like. You can have there are five different colors of frames in total, and yeah. so some will have you know one frame. Maybe they'll have one brown frame. Maybe two green frames. Some mm. might have a brown frame and a silver frame. Mm -hmm. um, some might have three different colored frames on them. So there's a wide array with the frames and then there are also tiles that have tasks and they they're kind of just little circle squares you know hexagons inside that have a number inside them mm -hmm. and so that just dictates what you have to complete to uh to fill in that task right and so some cards can have just or some tiles can have just frames some tiles can have just tasks some will have both so some will have um, tasks within a frame and the tasks are going to have a number and a color associated with them so let's say you had three green that was your task in right. the middle that means that attached to that tile you would need to have um, three green frames before you can complete that task right. and so um, attached means maybe you have your tile and you you lay down a frame with a green um, a, a tile with a green frame beside it you mm -hmm. put it down to the right well that's now got one green frame attached to it now yep. let's say that you laid a tile with two green frames above the tile with the green frame it's not attached to the tile that has the task in it but it's attached to the green frame attached to the tile with a task in it that might mm -hmm. be confusing but yeah, it just, just has creating. to be adjacent to one of the ones that already exists there yeah that attaches itself to the task yeah the path has to lead 
to back to yes. the task that you're doing. So you can have yeah green frames going up and then left and then down and right. Yes. But as long as they follow that path without using diagonals. Yes. And it leads all the way back to that task that has that that number that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You've completed that task and you have 22 tasks each to complete. Yes. And it's the first to create or to complete 22 tasks. And you, yeah, you're drawing those tiles out at random and you're yeah. laying them out on your board in front of you at like on the table in front of you at like to your best of your ability. Yeah. And, and it's kind of coming up with a, a plan and just yeah. trying to execute that. It's, it's, it's a tricky one. And it's neat how the tiles come out. So how the game plays is that let's say we had a, a three player game. Mm-hmm. You always draw one like the starting player will draw. Um, one more tile than the number of players you have. So in a three-player game, they're going to draw four tiles. Right. And then they choose a tile, and that will start them off. They'll place it in front of them. Then the next person chooses a tile, the next person chooses a tile, and then the first player is left that they have to take that last tile that remains. So And then they have to add it adjacently to the tile that they've already laid. And then the next player in order is going to take the bag and they're going to pull out four tiles and they're going to take the first one and the fourth one right as you Mm -hmm. go around and you're going to keep doing this until the bag is empty all the while you're building out this you know um, group of tiles in front of you and trying to complete as many tasks Mm -hmm. as you can and and some of the tasks you know you might have more than one task in a tile so you might have that green three but it might also contain a red seven and a Uh, brown six so Mm. then you can complete all three of those tasks if you lay down the tiles in the right order yeah and they can also have i believe if i remember correctly they can have two tasks of the same color within the same tile so you could have a four brown task and a six brown yes so you can complete the four by having a connection of four frames and you've you've taken your your thing and put it on the four and then but all you have to do is add two more to that same path yes of of uh, the frames and now you can complete the six as well so exactly. yeah there's lots of neat things happening in this game yeah. it's a really really thinky puzzly game and it's kind of cool because everybody has 22 tokens mm-hmm. in their own color and you're just putting them on your own board yeah and so you're so, not you're not you're building your own board yes. in front of you no one you're not uh, working connecting off, each other off stuff, of others you know? yeah and and you so you can see kind of how you're doing in comparison to the other players by how many tokens mm-hmm. they have left and you can hate draft tiles for if sure necessary. that um, happened to me a few times yeah but well, that's okay that's the game and in it's in order to stop you from potentially Yes. Fulfilling your orders, I'd rather take a lesser tile yes. maybe for me, right? Yeah. In order to stop you from winning. Yeah. yeah. And and it was it was fun. Like it's definitely thinky because but oh, you yeah. have to still put your tile down somewhere. Yep. And it go didn't, somewhere and do your best. The timing was pretty pretty accurate. They you know was around it, 30, thirty minutes. Yeah, that's about it. I'd say yeah. around there is good. And um yeah, we played it was with three players. Yeah. Was, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, they um they do have a solo variant. I haven't played it, but I believe in the solo variant what you're trying to do is um make the um get as many of your tokens out as you can by uh placing the tiles randomly in a five by five grid. So you have to work within right. a framework that way where you have to build a five by five grid. Whereas when you're building your own in a non solo game, um, it can be all over the place. Like yeah. you're not, you don't have to build a square. You can just, it can go a- anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. It's a neat one. This is a one, I think that we will end up doing a review on probably one of our rapid fire review episodes where mm-hmm. we kind of group this in with a couple of different, a uh, couple other games that are kind of similar in, uh, 
length and style maybe so yeah that's framework from pegasus spiel mm-hmm. and uh yeah that's yui rosenberg one of his lighter uh yeah games yeah and i think that's it for this week so we're gonna run and we will see you next week cheers see ya Hi there, it's Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And uh, what have I been playing recently? What you been playing recently? I says to myself. Well, what I've been playing recently has so much that I'm going to put out a little special side episode of uh, the Terminal City Tabletop Convention 2023 in Vancouver. Yay! It was awesome. Uh, Thank you so much to all of the... Uh, organizers and volunteers who put that on it was it was brilliant and uh, just for those who know Vancouver is known Nick you know nicknamed Terminal City because that's where all of the trains came to port right that was the term termination of the of the trains I think it was CP and uh, the event was at the Roundhouse which is an, uh, a community center um, and the building was an old uh, roundhouse where the where the uh, uh, train engines would turn around. So I thought that was, I mean, I don't know if everybody else caught that, but I thought that was awesome because, you know, I'm a history teacher and I totally geeked out with that. But I'm not going to talk about that right now. Like I said, I'm going to put uh, another episode out. But I want to talk about what I played recently, like just a couple days ago. Um I had a couple friends over, one who plays games on a, you know, somewhat frequent basis. And a friend of mine who hasn't played games, I mean, they, they couldn't even say the last game they played, right? Um, and uh, so out, outside of the hobby. So I thought, what's going to be a game that I'm going to absolutely enjoy? And a game that Murray, who's uh, played before, is going to like completely grok. And uh, Fred, who's never played, is going to sit there and go... Okay, I get it. Let's happen. And uh, we played Cascadia uh, 2021, designed by Randy Flynn, um, art by Beth Sobel. The art is so beautiful because it's the, it's the Pacific Northwest, right? Uh, published by Flat Out Games. And uh, I'll read the tag. Create the most harmonious ecosystem as you puzzle together habitats and wildlife. Because that's pretty much what it is. It's a tile and uh, I'm going to say, I, I call them, uh, we all speak French, so I, we kind of nicknamed the little, the little wooden discs buttons, right? So you've got these wooden discs and you've got these hexagonal tiles. And the hexagonal tiles represent five different kinds of terrain. And as you're placing, doing this tile placement part, you want to try to, because there's a point system based on the terrain and the person who can create the largest uh, um, connected, uh, I guess I guess you'd say uh, flat side connected because it can't be like the hexagonal point, but flat side connected terrain and uh, whoever has the most, well, first of all, you get the points. If you, get, you have seven tiles of, let's say, mountainous terrains, so you get seven points. But if you have the most, then in this case with a three player, you get three points and then the second player gets a point and then third player gets nothing. So there's quite an interesting um, territory development going on underneath. Now, the cool thing with these wooden discs is that these discs represent different types of animals. And if you've played, um, uh, I think it's uh, uh, Tiny Towns, 
um, where you have this map and you're trying to create buildings based on, um, uh, uh, I mean, I was going to try to say the polyominal word, but Tetris pieces, right? Um, but you have these geometric shapes uh, that uh, you build and it becomes a, a building. But in this case, you have these patterns, in the same case as tiny towns, you have these patterns of, let's say, the species we're talking about is bears. And it'll say, okay, for this card, and there's, I think, five or six different cards that you can pick for the scoring tableau, one of each species. And let's say on this case, the bear you pick, and it says, okay, you can only have a pair, and I would call it the mama bear and the cub. You can only have a pair um, isolated with nothing around it uh, and no other bear touching that. And if you can do that, it's uh, five points. If you can have two groups, it's 10 points. If you can have three groups of twos, then you, as you see, you know, the point scoring system. And uh, so there's, there's uh, birds, there's foxes, there's salmon, there's elk, there's bears. Uh, am I missing something? I, I know I'm missing something. Um, but, and within all those individual species, there's, like I said, five or six different cards. So the way you shuffle and present this tableau, the puzzle of, of you know, creating these animal clumpings or patterns as they relate to the terrain, because on these terrain tiles, some of them will say, oh, you can only have one type of species here. Right, it'll have the image of it. Some will say, you can have three types of species here. Some will say, you can only have two, right? So when you start to select, and I'll get to the how you select these things, when you start to select your tiles and your, your um, uh, discs, you got a plan because sometimes what's available in the market isn't gonna jive with your board. Let's talk about the market. Very straightforward, right? There's two things that you need. You need a tile, and you need a wooden disc or you need an animal. And in the, the market, you'll have four columns and in each column, there'll be a tile and a disc that are, that are the selection pair, okay? And so you'll have these four stacks, right? Um, now, you, on your turn, you select one of those. You put the tile down and you put the disc down. Now, the disc doesn't necessarily have to go on the tile that you picked. Uh, you start off with a home base of three hexagonal areas that'll have, you know, the, the required species in those areas. So there's a lot of options in how you can start planning this. And your terrain map will organically grow crazy, okay? Um, so there's a rule breaker, as always. There's a thing called the acorn. And if you place your species, let's say an elk, on a... Uh, a tile that has an elk symbol and there's a little um, silhouette or a little you know uh, white acorn that means that if you put that animal there you get an acorn the acorn does special things the first thing the acorn can do is when you go to the market and you select uh, these tile and uh, wooden disc combos you can break that and go I want a tile from this column and I want a disc from this different column, right? And then that's what the rule breaker, you give up your acorn. Um, if um, you're not happy with the species that are in the market, you can use an acorn and replace it. A um, couple other things on your turn, if for some chance that you have three of the same, 
The person who is the active player has the ability to keep it or wipe them, wipe the species. Or if there's four identical, it's an automatic wipe. Um, so that's the whole mechanical game system scheme. This, I've had so many fun games. It plays solo, which is fantastic. But in, first of all, introducing this game to people who have never gamed before, by the second round, they've got it, right? They, they start to see the depth of it. They start to see the interconnectedness of it. They start to, they start to learn the rule, the golden rule of uh, Euro-style gaming is that you can't do everything. <laughs> and if you try to, your head's going to... Scanners episode all over the back of the curtain. Um, so I adore this game. It is so much fun. It is uh, so challenging at every level uh, going into this uh, this game. Because like I said, Murray's played games before, but he's never played this one. I explained how, you know, like I just explained to you. And uh, wow, he just, he took, he, I think he won both games. And uh, each game, what was great, we, we had the ability to play uh, uh, three games and each game the the scores were progressively higher and tighter so that told me that they 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 were getting it and the best part is as everybody who loves when you when you introduce a game to somebody their question was hey where can i get this uh, i got two sponsors where you can go check this out uh but uh yeah so we had a fantastic game uh, of Cascadia, and I can't wait to uh, have an opportunity to show them other games. So, yay! So, thank you to my to uh, Murray and Fred who came over and uh, tried out Cascadia, and thank you to you, the listener, who's taken the time to, you know, listen to what we got to say about games that we've been playing, and hopefully get that itch and go over to uh, Dragons Den Games and Amazing Stories and pick up some games. Um, that being said, thank you so much for the content creators who contribute, <laughs> alliteration, um, absolutely fantastic, right? This, this is such a special episode. This can't happen without those people contributing. So, or is it contributing? <laughs> tomato, tomato. Uh, I'm going to just stop before you guys, uh, tur I should just go right to static right now. Um, that being said, keep your stick on yes. Take care out there, eh? Even if it is summer.